Well, hi, welcome to another episode of the Hillbrook CTE podcast. My name is Bill Selleck. I am director of technology here. And I am Annie Makala, the director of the Scott Center for Social Entrepreneurship. Yes, and we are continuing with the pillars of social entrepreneurship. That's right. What's up today? Today, we're going to dig into one um, that in a lot of ways, I think grounds all of the other ones. I know I I might say that every single time because (laughs) I love all six pillars equally. Um, But this one is one that has pushed my own thinking as a social entrepreneur educator um, and as someone who sits between the worlds of social entrepreneurship and education and is always looking for the intersecting bridge between the two. So today we're going to talk about the pillar of systems. Systems. Systems thinking um, is the is typically the language that people are using in the social innovation sector, um, and, but we talk about it as a singular pillar of systems. Systems. So is this the type of thing where like you try not to solve the one thing, you try and solve like what the the symptom of it is? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. When I think about it, I think about it as the way in which you can shape and shift systems that you are a part of, and that. When we think about these systems, whether it's a system of finance, the system of government, the system of education, we all have a role within that system and we all have the ability to shape and shift it. Um, so systems change the definition that that I often use um, that was recently published in the Stanford um, Innovation Review is the idea that we can design interventions that fundamentally reshape social or environmental systems that perpetuate injustice or negative results. Okay, so this actually kind of resonates with like my old school punk rock days. <laughs> Tell me more, like, Bill. You know, us against the system. Oh, interesting. The man, like we're going against the man. Um, That's right. I think you're more of a punk rock and I'm probably more of a classic rock and that like, I want to be part of the system so that I can shape and shift it. Well, right. And I think there's a group of people that are absolutely doing what you are talking about, which is um, saying that the system is not working and we need to stand up to it. Yeah. But to be fair and to actually clarify, I was like the the kindest, most rule following, like punk rock bass player <laughs> of them all. Um, so, you know, there's that. But that I would argue actually is punk rock because it wasn't like the we're going to start fights and we're going to like have crazy hair and leather jackets. I was like, no, I'll wear like my white t-shirt from Costco. Yeah. You are what we might say, um, what we might call an entrepreneur of punk rock. An intrapreneur. Yeah. What does that mean? It means you are looking to make change within an organization, a company and a system. Um, but you're doing it through the lens of like really deeply connected to that system. Okay. So it might be somebody like within a company such as PayPal or Google who, you know, has deep beliefs and values around social impact, environmental impact, um, and has chosen a path to work internal within that company and continue to name, um, the ways in which that company can connect with those values as opposed to perhaps working at a nonprofit that's focused on environmental justice. Okay. Is this also what a lot of educators are doing, particularly in the ed tech world of saying like, here's what I'm doing with this group of people and we can all be doing that to, to shift education, to make it more student centered. Is that like totally. an intrapreneur? I think so. I think, um, educators are naturally both like entrepreneurs and extrapreneurs, um, because innovation is happening all the time in the classroom. Sure. And yet you're part of this larger system that, you know, requires testing and grades and, um, transcripts and all sorts of other 
larger connections to a system that, um, you know, we're always continuing to question and shape and shift, but is rooted in really good learning. I, I love that so much. Um, one word stuck out and I'd love for you to talk more about that injustice. Mm. That was part of systems that I was not expecting. Yeah. I think that that is, um, it's one of my, one of the, the most important parts of social entrepreneurship education is that we don't get so caught up in kind of our excitement of the ways in which we, um, can shop within our values and the ways in which we can see entrepreneurs that have, you know, at 28 or 30 made a ton of money because they sold an app that instead we are committing ourselves to looking at the way are serving some people and ways that they're served their whether that's around race, ethnicity, gender, age, geographic location. These are all um, parts of systems. They influence systems and they dictate the ways in which the system. Let's start with um, sharing the example of WIFTY, which is our Reach Beyond block, women in finance and tech. This looked at the system of finance and tech through a gender lens. And it allowed us to dig into understanding the ways in which um, gender has been either for some people, for predominantly um, white men, it has been a successful system while simultaneously being a barrier to other people within that space, whether that's people of color, whether that's women, um, whether that's the LGBTQ plus community. There are ways in which systems serve um, disproportionately one group of people and are a disservice to other groups of people. And that's the part of systems change that we are naming for children is in order to change a system, you must, you must first understand the system. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where the education can come in. Exactly. And to name, you know, um, there has been huge leaps in terms of uh, gender equity in finance and tech over the last decade. We are still not where we need to be. And so it's okay for us to recognize the hard work of many people and to continue to name it's still not where it needs to be. And we need to empower students, teachers, community members to continue to question and name the ways in which systems are not serving people equally. Yeah. So you talked about WIFTY and I love that example. Um, we can also link to, or you can just on your own, open the podcast app and find Mark Silver's new podcast. Yeah. Remarks and Reflections. <laughs> Although I want to start calling it Remarks. Yeah, that's what I thought it was called. It's a capital M. Yeah. I always hear it Remarks. Oh. But it's Remarks because his name's Mark. Yeah, Mark we, Silver. We could change this to the Rebill and Re Annie podcast. I like it. Every week we reinvent ourselves. Yes. Reimagine. Nice. Reimagine. Imagine and reimagine. We're always reimagining things, Bill. We can do it and then redo it. It'd be exciting. We could. And now we have to throw back the re at some point later in the podcast. People go, <laughs> ah, like eight minutes in, they talked about remarks. Anyway, episode three of the remark podcast is about Wifty in particular. And you hopped on his podcast. Um, it was a crossover episode of sorts. Yeah. Introduced it and then actually cut to some students. Yeah. So definitely check out that episode because um, there is, you know, Moments as educators, the reason I think we all do this work is um, based on some of what students said in that podcast. There is a, a really beautiful statement by um, an eighth grader, a student of color, a girl, um, who shared that she had never 
seen herself being on the path to be a CEO. Um, she'd never seen someone that looked like her as a CEO and that this reach beyond block really allowed her to see the various paths that one can take, um, and careers and in life, just in general, like the ways in which women who joined us on this, um, podcast series and, and for this reach beyond block shared both kind of their professional path, but simultaneously they were sharing their personal path. And, you know, I think that's an important lesson for all of us to continue to remember is, you know, I blame my generation, the millennial generation for this horrible, horrible, work-life balance metaphor, which makes <laughs> right. zero sense because your work and your life are not separate. They don't sit on opposite ends of a scale. They're, um, connected at all times. And I, I'm very appreciative to some people who have given me the language of work-life harmony. Ooh. And I think about that with systems. Like I care deeply about shaping and shifting the system of education. And so, you know, this plays out in my life in all sorts of different ways, both at Hillbrook and beyond. You know, we were talking about this over Thanksgiving with my family of like, my brother is an urban planner and designer. My sister is a speech pathologist. My dad is an entrepreneur. My mom is a music teacher. We are all thinking about the system of education in different ways. And I had one of the best conversations with my brother about the way that he is thinking about the need for urban education because of his lens of as an urban planner. That is really cool. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. So work-life harmony. I want to not forget that. I love that. Yeah. Because I think like 90% of my travel in life is going to conferences, presenting at conferences. um, And it's always felt weird. Like I've just been like, I love what I do so much. Yeah, you really do. That, that I'm like, I'm cool with like the lack of work-life balance, but that's actually just wrong. Yeah. It's really work-life harmony and finding something that I'm passionate about. That's right. And every time I make this argument, people are like, oh, you don't believe in like separation of work and life. And I'm like, I totally do. Like I want to go out and have a glass of wine with my friends at 530 on any given weeknight or be able to take my dog for a walk in the morning and spend Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving break with my family. Like these things matter to me. And it was stressing me out the amount of times that I was thinking like, what is the balance this week? Like, am I perfectly aligned with like what I want to be doing? And I think sometimes we put up boundaries because that is the language and the, the examples we've been given. And what I realized is like, there are going to be weeks when I am working till midnight and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I call it my red zone days and, and they are some of my favorite days. I can't do them every single day over a long period of time. But you know, we, we, you and I have talked about this a lot. Like, how do you get into a flow? Some days you do just need four or five hours of uninterrupted time. It's much harder to find that. I know when you (laughs) have a family at home waiting for you. Um, but I do think that when we, if we can reframe this both for actually for children and, um, for people that are in the workforce to just say like, you find your harmony, like it's not going to look exactly like mine. Mine doesn't look like yours. We are, we are setting people up to shape and shift systems in ways um, that are beneficial for everyone. Nice. I like that. I mean, like Saturday night, I was up till 1130 editing my other podcast, Heads Down, Two Thumbs Up. Yeah. With Carla Silver. It's awesome. I listened yeah. to an episode on the way to... You know, that also reminds me, like with our eighth graders and their um, capstone projects, it's the, you know, like no homework weekends is a, a thing. Um, and I tend to fall on the, the side of like, you know, Kids need to just have downtime. They need to be at home. They need to be with family. Absolutely. Um, 
and and so I, I tend to simplify it as like homework bad. Mm. Um, and yet, if you find that kind of, I guess for students who be like the school life harmony, yep. when it's that kind of capstone season and they're really working on something, they're like, oh my gosh, like I worked on this all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I was up late every night working on my, my big project. And then they go to share their project and it's incredible. Right. And it, it wasn't like, oh, I do. Right. You spend all day Saturday totally. on it. Totally. Right? Yeah. You know, so it's, I think it's just finding that passion, that harmony, and running with it. Um, there's one other thing I want to make sure we, ta- we talk about that feels like it would fit under systems. Yeah. And it was that reach beyond week. So mm-hmm. it was a five-day lesson or a five-day kind of experience. Um, soccer without borders. Yeah. That right? was um, that was a reach beyond block. Oh, that was a block. Okay. Yeah. So that was a block that we ran um, two cycles of last year. And with, in collaboration with, um, both the, with people from the PE department, with our former head of silver. And it was, um, it was a really incredible reach beyond block, I think both for the faculty and the students. Um, and we, we looked at, we partnered with San Jose state as they launched, um, the power of protest exhibit within their, on their campus. And they have since put up statues representing two San Jose state alumni, Um, John Carlos and Tommy Smith, who were protesters in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. Is this the one where they're on um, the metal stands? Exactly. And and tell tell us the story. You know it well. Um, I know it kind of well. So I know I should know it better, but pieces of it. So, yeah, they um, stood in protest. So the the statues of them on the San Jose campus are them, um, you know, with a with the stands and a fist of power protesting. inequality within the Olympics. And it was their, you know, they were putting their career, their Olympic career on the line. Um, and at the time had, you know, very little support when we look at the history of it. Um, it reminded us to ask the questions in our reach beyond block of, you know, who are the modern day athletes that are standing up for injustice that they are experiencing, they are seeing. Um, and we had a fascinating conversation about Colin Kaepernick and, you know, in 50 years, will we have a Colin Kaepernick statue? Oh, with him kneeling down, Interesting. That's right. And there were people that fell on both sides of the debate and, you know, for good reasons, for thoughtful reasons, but it allowed us to have a conversation about race, about protest, about nationalism, um, that came from a, a place of looking at it through the lens of, of sports. And, and that's a tangible way to engage middle school students on what is really rich and, and thoughtful dialogue. Well, sure. And, and it's so cool hearing what actually happened because just reading the description, I was like, oh, they're going to play soccer and maybe talk with a school in a different country where soccer is a big deal. And then I don't know, like have a field trip to play soccer. And it was, mm-hmm. it was super not, not it was about not that. was not the takeaway. Right? And we actually, you helped me um, run a podcast with three of the students that were in Soccer Beyond Borders yeah. in which they talked about their experience Um, one of which, uh, one of the students said like, I have zero interest in soccer. I don't, I don't want to play it, but I do want to know more about it. Like my friends really like it. Um, and, and so she joined the elective and really connected with the movie Pele and continues to talk about it to this day. And, um, you know, went home on Friday and her family watched it for their family movie night. And it just creates, um, important and accessible ways to talk about really, deep and important topics. Yeah. I love that so much. And so that definitely fits into systems, right? Systems. Looking at how to actually, we said shape 
and shift shape and shift systems and whether those are you know really specific and internal systems or whether you're looking at like the system of environmental justice is one that we are seeing all sorts of interesting ways that people are shaping and shifting systems uh greta thornberg this morning was announced that she is times person of the year yes so exciting youngest person to ever be named um well this morning for us this morning for us. Last last whenever for you. Yeah. So you probably heard this news by now, but it's worth naming it's new again. and exciting for us. It's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and she has been a huge inspiration to so many of our students that continue to talk about sustainability as something that we had this great Grandparents Day panel a couple weeks ago in which we invited some grandparents and students um, to engage in this this topic that really the, the two questions that guide the Scott Center for Social Entrepreneurship, um, which are what matters to you and what are you doing about it? And by the way, if I can interrupt for a moment, if you have no kind of on-ramp on how to do what we're talking about here and all the phenomenal work Annie is doing around social entrepreneurship, just asking really anyone in your life, yep. certainly your students, other teachers, any educator, parents, what matters to you? Just, just that, what matters to you? Yep. Um, it's pretty amazing. I was somewhere else. I forget where I was. It was with a not Hillbrook student and, and I asked them what matters to you. And, um, they, they had no, they had no answer. They're like, what do you, what do you mean? Like yeah. n- nobody's asked me this in my life. Right. Yeah. And it, and it broke my heart in the moment. Yeah. So, you know, even just simply, what matters to you and giving students space. You know, it's not like do a genius hour project about what matters. Just ask what matters to you. Plant the seed. And then as time goes on, what are you doing about it? What do you hope to do about it? What might we do about it? Yep. Exactly. I love those, that, those additional questions because we get some pushback of like, but I'm not doing anything yet. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you're even, that people can answer that question they're doing something about it. Yes, absolutely. So you asked this, is that the question you asked what matters to you to the grandparents on grandparents day? Yeah. And you know, just to, to double click on what you just said, you know, this is the reason why I decided to, um, I have a, I had a, um, early career in teaching second grade at Greenwich country day in Connecticut, loved every single minute of it. Um, and then switched back to my worlds of, of social entrepreneurship and worked at the Middlebury Institute with graduate students pursuing careers in social impact. Um, and we were doing research around impact investing. And what I noticed that, that to your point, that really broke my heart is when we were meeting with graduate students, and these were students with you know, $50,000, $100,000 in student loans, and we were trying to get a sense of, of where they wanted to fit into this school. And we asked that question, like, well, what are the things that really seven students within a month told me, you know, no one's ever asked me that question. Wow. What I realized is even if your answer to that question changes, it should be one that you are continuously asking yourself and asking those in your community, because even if your answers are different, it creates an opportunity of connection and understanding and recognition that we are a better community, a better society, a better country, a better world when people are caring about different things. But word um, Ubuntu, which means, you know, the rough translation, I'm probably going to get this a little bit wrong, but um, I am who I am because of who we are. And that's what I believe about this question. It's like we need this question, um, in order to understand like, okay, I'm going to put my time and energy deeply into, um, equity and education. Like that's something that I personally care a lot about. 
my colleagues who I see on the weekends are, you know, deeply focused on zero hunger, one of the SDGs, and they are working on this 365 days, 24 seven. Um, and, and we can like high five each other and be like, yes, we are all connecting into making the world a better place, but we're doing it in really unique. So to your point, um, on this grandparents day panel, that is absolutely what came up. And you know, we, this was something brand new. We partnered with Kathy uh, Carlson and, and Joe Connolly and Mark um, to, to try something out and have a small group of grandparents invited to campus earlier in the day. And um, we invited a, a student panel. And, you know, I didn't know which students would, would be interested in this, but um, we asked, it was about 12 students, mix of lower school and middle school students, all of whom I'd had some sort of conversation about this topic and knew that, that they had an answer to it. So we started, you know, it was like five minutes before the grandparents were coming in and we were practicing. And the way the classroom was set up is the grandparents were sitting kind of in rows of chairs and the students were on stools in the front. And, you know, you don't know this part yet, but the grandparents were literally walking in and Savannah, one of the students that was part of the panel, turned to me and said, oh, I get it. Today, we're like the teachers and the grandparents are the students. Ah, yes. And so she was like, Miss Mack, we're going to ask them what matters to them, right? What? That wasn't planned? No, that was not planned. It was impromptu and it was so... Because, you know, we really, we had an opportunity for their response and, you know, we had everything from... LGBTQ, um, to foster care, to climate change, to the five R's of sustainability, um, and vegetarianism, like super all sorts quick. Of- those five R's reduce, reuse, rot, and, re- and refuse. refuse. Like I've got my own ceramic mug. Please don't give me a plastic one. Exactly. No straws. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and our colleague Elsa Doman, who runs the CTE has been partnering with the fourth grade reach beyond block. And you will notice around campus, there are these incredible letters written by fourth graders about how we protect our environment. Um, and they've really been guiding that work. So that was one of our fourth grade students that came in and, and taught us the five R's. That's so great. And so one of the grandparents, it was Ozzy's grandpa, right? Ozzy's grandpa. Yeah. So he was, I think the first one when, when we, you know, turned the question over to grandparents, like what matters to you? Um, he was one of the first ones to raise his hand and I just, I loved his answer, um, which was systems matter to him and understanding systems. And oh my, we're talking about that on this podcast. It was perfect. And, you know, he hadn't seen our impact report, probably didn't know the six pillars. And this was an intergenerational conversation. And it was so perfect because it was exactly what the students were talking about. And he was bringing it to this whole new level. And, and you know, if he would have known me kind of do this, like, me too symbol. Yeah, the kind of, the shaka is like the hang loose, like where you point. The shaka. Yeah. yeah. You know, all these students, all these like lower school students, Bennett and Grayson yeah. and Annabelle and Devin were yeah. like, yeah, me too systems. Yeah. And it was really cool to see. So how did he speak about systems? Did he for reals just say systems matter to me? That was his literal word systems. It wasn't even just kind of like talking around it. Yeah. And then he talked about like understanding how systems connect to one another. Um, and you know, understanding how we can change systems and I don't have any sense, you know, this is the first time I had met him. Um, and I'm not sure where he spent his career within a system, but my guess is that this is something he continues to think about. Um, and something that he talked to his daughter and son, um, about, and, and I don't, I actually don't know whether it was Azadeh's mom or dad who, um, 
if he was, which side of the family he was on. So, um, but I do know that, that it was a, it was a great connection for our students. That is so cool. So if people want to dig more into systems, it it feels like such a a big kind of amorphous pillar compared to the others, right? Like what's, what's the next steps for the humans listening? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't name uh, my mentor in this space, someone who has become a good friend of mine, but started out as, as a coach of mine. Um, and her name is Daniela Pappy Thornton, and you can watch her TEDx talk. She's got some great articles. Um, she's got a book out and she's doing deep thinking mostly at the higher education level, but, um, she's, she's been eager to engage with us at the K-12 level as well. Um, and so we'll link to her, her Ted talk and a couple of her articles, which I highly recommend. Um, she believes deeply in the idea that you have to have systems change thinking in order to be, um, a true good social entrepreneur. And I, and I love her framing of that. Yeah. And if, if you're not, um, patient enough to find the show notes and click on it. The Ted talk is reclaiming social entrepreneurship. That's right. Clearly is going to resonate with you. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a, we had yesterday, um, we ran faculty PD around social entrepreneurship education in different rooms focused on different things. Bill, thank you. You led a a great podcasting session. Yeah. Um, And guess what I asked them? What did you ask them? What matters to you? It's awesome. So you'll get to hear hopefully some of those voices as we diversify who's featured on this podcast series. Um, But one of the rooms we were talking about fair trade and we had a a really healthy critique and debate about, you know, that the various certifications, and this is another form of systems thinking is like, you know, you have B corporations, you have fair trade, you have 1% for the planet, you have equal exchange, you have, you know, rainforest Alliance. And how do you know which system is the right one? And how do you know that, you know, they are following the same standards and guidelines. Um, and so we were able to dig into that conversation and I don't think we have a perfect answer yet, but what Daniela's talk does as well is it provides a healthy critique of social entrepreneurship. Um, and we need that and we need to be paying attention to the ways in which we need to continue to shape and shift the system of social entrepreneurship. Nice. I love that so much. Anything else to wrap up this episode, put a little bow on it for us. Um, no, I would just extend the invitation for all of you, uh, to think about the systems that you spend time living in, working in, and you know, how does that align with the things that matter most to you and where are the moments in which you can speak up, um, to shape and shift them to shape and shift them. Awesome. Yes. Cool. Thanks for chatting, Annie. Thanks for joining me, Bill. Thanks for joining me, Annie. (laughs) Impact. (laughs) 